Hello and welcome to Bookaso with me PS Nisim where I read review and sink into books from the desi perspective I'm recording this episode number 4 in February 2020 which if you are a compulsive planner like me is a great time to figure out what you are going to do in the summer where you are going to go um travel is more popular than ever these days but there are so many different kinds of travel and today i want to cover two books that think about travel in two very different ways where one focuses on seeing a known city through new eyes the other one talks of roughing it traveling with a passion going where nobody else dares to go my first book today is discovering bengaluru written and edited by meera ayer Uh, published by Intak in 2019 and priced at rupees 700. The second is called Where the Indus Is Young uh, by Devla Murphy. I hope I'm getting her name right. This book was written way back in 1975, but it's been recently republished in 2018 by Speaking Tiger in India. Let's talk about discovering Bengaluru first. and let's begin by talking about intak now intak isn't strictly a publisher it's an acronym for the indian national trust for art and cultural heritage okay long name and what they do is to preserve indian culture and heritage a uh, lot of it is focused on uh, walks through the neighborhood preservation of monuments and raising awareness of the heritage in the cities and towns around us Uh, Meera Iyer heads the Bangalore chapter of Intak, and what this book is basically is a distillation of uh, several of the heritage walks that Intak conducts in Bangalore, focusing on different areas. Uh, the index says there are seven different areas that are covered in depth, plus one uh, park, which is Lal Bagh, quite a well-known landmark. So each section focuses on the history of the area, then points out. places of interest to see there maybe even an order to walk around in a kind of codification of the walks that they do and in between are sprinkled bits of trivia history and popular personalities of the area uh, by the time you're done with the chapter you feel like you know it well enough to go there and show it off to other folks or even to just walk around and enjoy the feel of the place with new eyes so for example here's a little bit from the introduction to how the bangalore cantonment was created uh, they are talking about right after the victory of the british over tipu sultan when they conquered shrirangapatnam which was tipu's capital here's what meera says it was the mosquitoes that did them in droves of british soldiers were felled by malaria this was a time before the link had been made between mosquitoes and malaria a link that incidentally was first made by sir ronald ross while at bengaluru only a couple of kilometers from here which is the cantonment instead malaria was attributed to mal aria or bad air british medical journals of the time are full of scholarly articles on the hazards of tropical climates Seringapatnam began began to feature in them regularly for the fevers which prevailed there and it soon became notorious as the most unhealthy spot in Mysore the search was on for a suitable place for the british garrison to move to kolar sira bengaluru and chitradurg were among the contenders two things clinched the deal in favor of bengaluru the first was its importance as a trading center the second was that no other location compared to bangalore in terms of its salubrious climate 
at about 915 meters above the sea level it was considered one of the most temperate and healthy places in the indian peninsula um a year then goes on to talk about how a section of land was allotted to the british to set up their town they wound up staying in the area near what's today's mg road and also tanks are and uh, the chapter goes on to describe development and land allotment and then the monuments and so on and so forth now i guarantee you to you that even folks who travel to bangalore's mg road or who have had a drink at the pub there or shopped at the malls don't really think of it as this area which was shifted from Srirangapatnam and then had you know had the British living there and settling in and so on and so forth so after you read this chapter if you happen to go to that area you're going to see the place and think of all that has gone there before and then if you want to go deeper into the area it then takes you on a virtual walk featuring anywhere between 8 to 15 uh, important points in the area but the descriptions in in these walks in the book are also interesting and give you a lot of context let me pick out an interesting one uh, this is a paragraph from the chapter on maleshwaram uh, about the nandishwara temple which is a popular landmark uh, here's what it says in 1977 an almost everyday event in maleshwaram had a very unexpected outcome indeed it happened thus a politician sold a plot of land to a builder who wanted to construct a commercial building on it. Imagine everyone's surprise when the excavators unearthed old temple pillars and roofs. Further careful excavation revealed an intact courtyard with a pillared hall around it, a perfectly preserved Kalyani, and most interesting of all, a south-facing statue of Nandi from whose mouth there flowed a clear stream of water which fell exactly on a linga placed a little below it. Local people eventually prevailed upon the builder to halt construction. The find caused considerable excitement in Bengaluru. Reports of the newly unearthed temple spoke of it being 400 years old or even 7000 years old. As a visitor, if you just walk into this temple, it's like any other temple. But walk into the temple with this background around you and you feel like you're walking through the pages of history. Ayal uh, further gives some details of who probably constructed the temple initially, how it happened to disappear before it was found again. And that sounds cool, doesn't it? Uh, besides these two sections, there are all these trivia pieces about uh, famous personalities and important events. So right in the beginning, for example, it talks about the Battle of Bengaluru, where the British first came in and conquered the city. Further down in the Maleshwaram chapter, for example, there are pieces on the founders of the city and people who constructed monuments. There is an interesting piece about C.V. Raman, who lived in Maleshwaram and had a big house there. Uh, in the page about uh, Raman in this book, there is an interesting quote by him. It goes like, uh, the man of science observes what nature offers with the eye of understanding, but her beauties are not lost on him for that reason. More truly, it can be said that understanding refines our vision and heightens our appreciation of what is striking and beautiful. I read this and I was struck with the parallels to uh, the quote from a famous American physicist, Richard Feynman, who is said to have said that the scientific understanding of natural phenomena improves our understanding. In fact, the same spirit in which Raman speaks in this quote. So this is one example. The book is interspersed throughout with small anecdotes and points like this, things which make you think 
and uh, understand the city around us better. Uh, I happened to attend a lecture by uh, Mira Iyer when she was talking about this book and she had an interesting point of view. Uh, she said that Bangalore's reputation as such is not of a historic city. It's more a city where, you know, an IT city or a pensioner's paradise and so on. And people don't think of this as a place which has a heritage to be protected. But that's not quite true. As she shows in this book, there is a lot of history here. And most unexpectedly, she covers areas that you wouldn't really think of having a history, notably the Whitefield area, which people consider an IT hub, and Kantirwa Stadium, which is kind of center of the city and a sports arena. But Kantirwa has another history. It used to be a water tank earlier. And through the history of that tank and then of Kantirwa, uh, Ayer talks about how the old Bangalore city managed its water resources and how it made sure that there was enough water for everybody in the city. A lot of this is an art that has been lost today. Uh, regarding these water tanks, there are a couple of revealing insights the book has, by the way. Uh, the British, when they came in, uh, were of the opinion that there is no more space to build any more water tanks. Of course, they came in and built a lot of housing and they built schools and they built uh, churches and so on, but they didn't really build too many tanks. And probably that neglect which started from that era has continued till today. I don't blame them. Uh, successive governments have made the same mistake in the city. Anyhow, uh, full props to Mira here and to Intak for bringing this book out. I wish there were more of these and I wish more of us read these books. I'd rather live in a city I know about than just be, you know, happening to live there. And a book like this uh, lets you travel into the past without really going anywhere. So this was uh, Discovering Bengaluru by Mira Ayer published by Intak, priced at rupees 700, published in 2019. Let's take a short break before I move on to the second book of the day. Oh, welcome back. Uh, travel books in general are a pretty big genre. Uh, ideally, if I wanted to cover the whole arc, I should have started from historical accounts like those of Marco Polo or Ibn Battuta or uh, Huen Sang. Uh, the modern travelogues are of course mostly vlogs that are coming out on YouTube as videos. But we also have uh, different flavors of travelogues such as the beat generation travelogues of Tom Wolfe or Hunter S. Thompson. And then there are the European travelogues like uh, Under the Tuscan Sun or Daniel Defoe's travels around Britain. Uh, India has its own big history and uh, a lot of Indian travelogues focus on religious travel or maybe traveling out of India. Uh, many of them are historical oriented as well. Uh, one of my favorites is a book that's originally in Gujarati. In fact, uh, it's called Tire Tire Narmada by Amritlal Vegad, uh, in which he talks about how he uh, does a parikrama or a circumambulation around the Narmada river, a journey which takes him, which takes normal travelers a few months, but which takes him about five years to do because he does it in phases. And he talks about life by the river of the, of the various temples along the shores of the starting and ending points. And it's a beautiful book. I read it in English. It's been translated into English and Hindi and other Indian languages. And, um, now that's just one of them and a quick search on Amazon will give you a lot more. In contrast, the Indian travelogue writing scene in English is 
kind of narrow. Um, so although I wouldn't, I think Intact might not call Discovering Bangalore a travelogue. I'd slot it there just because it fits into discovering places and times. And as I said, it helps you discover the city, seeing it in a new light. Let's talk about the other book for the day. And this is Where the Indus is Young, written by Dervla Murphy, initially in 1975 and reissued in 2018 by Speaking Tiger in India. Uh, Murphy herself uh, is an Irish woman uh, born in 1931 and she's probably most famous for a book called Full Tilt where uh, she hopped onto a bicycle and traveled all the way from England all the way to India and lived in India for a while near Dharamshala and uh, she wrote all about her journey in that first book and she became famous but then uh, 10 years that that journey was in 1963 and then about 10 years after that when she had a daughter Rachel she came back to India and Pakistan for a while uh, two books came out of that one the first was called On a Shoestring to Kurg where as the title says she came to South India and to Kurg starting from Mumbai going via Goa and winding up in uh, Madikeri uh, the second is the book I have with me right now. This is uh, Where the Indus is Young, in which she travels to Pakistan-occupied Kashmir, specifically to Baltistan and uh, the Karakoram Ranges. And she spends a winter deep in their in really, really inhospitable cold country and goes along the course of the Indus River and a couple of other interesting valleys. All this, yes, with her six-year-old daughter, Rachel, which makes for quite a journey. Now, this book is probably as different from Discovering Bengaluru or uh, other such travelogues as it's possible to get. Because where the first one was a relatively impersonal account, uh, an organizational account, in fact, of a city, uh, Murphy makes the whole thing really, really personal. She talks about herself, the trouble she has, for example, in getting a permit at the beginning of the book. She talks of how her daughter uh, both troubles her with innocent questions, but also uh, shames her into being brave and taking risks in travel. She talks about how she hires a donkey to carry their luggage through the distance because she can't cycle through this stretch. Right? She talks about the people she meets and the food she eats and how she gets shelter when conditions are really bad. Let me read out a little bit of uh, how she sees the people and life in the area. This is about how Murphy and her daughter Rachel are waiting at the airport at Gilgit, waiting for the plane which will take them into the heart of the country. <clears throat> about 50 men plus countless children were awaiting the plane and everybody stared curiously at us. The first change I noticed was a severe airport building of grey stone which seemed to have grown out of the sheer mountain behind it. Uh, she says change because she's been to this place 10 years back when she came by bicycle. Uh, as we stood on the sandy edge of the airstrip, Rachel surveyed the giant surrounding rock walls and said, this place is like a cage. She was a little disappointed not to find herself at once waist deep in snow. It rarely snows here and only a few white summits are visible above the walls of the cage. But one splendid sharp triangular peak shone to the northeast like a silver torch against the cold blue sky. It was catching the sunlight that already when we landed at 2.25 had been cut off from the valley. <clears throat> So that's how she begins her journey into the valley.
as you'll have noticed, she doesn't care to name the peak or even find out what it is, nor does she go into the history of the place she's at or the airport and so on. It's a personal experience. And in my uh, reading so far, I found that a lot of European travelogues focus on this personal feel rather than talking about the place they are in uh, beyond their own immediate experiences. I could potentially call it a mark of self-confidence that you know you think your personality is engaging enough for people to listen to. But anyhow, on with the book. So Murphy's travel starts from Gilgit and then uh, further down to Skardu, Kapalu, uh, a few more places whose names I'm not familiar with. There's a map in the start of the book and most people won't know these. If at all we have heard of these places today, uh, they are in the context of uh, you know, Pakistan-occupied Kashmir and the terrorism problem and terrorist camps and so on and so forth. But this book was back in 1975 and even though that area was disputed, terrorism wasn't really the main concern of the people. In fact, uh, in the prologue, she has a lot of sympathy for Pakistan having had to rebuild their country from scratch after India got all the cool administrative buildings and so on and so forth. But anyhow, the highlight of the book, of course, is her descriptions of all the places that she sees. So let me read out a bit where, you know, her narrative skill really shines. Uh, this is when she's stopped for lunch in the middle of uh, a valley. It was warm in the sun when we sat down at 2.15, but beginning to be chilly when we stood up half an hour later. Gazing around, Rachel suddenly remarked, this landscape looks terribly untidy. An excellent description of the Indus Gorge, where it seems as if some cataclysm had occurred only yesterday, leaving everything scattered and unsettled. The mountain sides are either perpendicular walls of cracked and jagged rock on which even goats can't venture, or smooth expanses of loose grey brown sand and scree littered with boulders of every size and shape that looked as if about to roll down the slopes, which of course they frequently do. The fact that landslips and rockfalls are almost a daily occurrence makes the building and maintenance of irrigation channels and tracks, never mind motor roads, a discouraging task. One good thing about Murphy is that she instinctively likes all the people she meets. There are one or two folks in the book that she distinct, uh, definitely dislikes, but they are usually dishonest types or she usually starts off by liking people that she meets. Everyone is, you know, handsome or beautiful or smart. And of course, she does sometimes bring in the characteristic self-deprecating humor that British folks seems to have. You know, she and Rachel are crazy firangis who won't listen to the villagers' advice to not go to this place or that view. Or why are they walking around when there's nothing to be gained out of it and so on. Uh, here's an instance of her uh, looking at a Muharram procession and how she describes it. Uh, we approached Husainabad across a flat glittering snow field broken by occasional gigantic black boulders. Then far away we heard rhythmic shoutings, Oh Hassan, Oh Hussein, accompanied by what sounded like muffled drums, their regular beat amplified by a sheer mountain wall that rose from the plain nearby. When the procession at last appeared, there was something unexpectedly touching about that minute patch of darkness on the snow. Man and his griefs seemed so puny and ephemeral set between the colossal backdrop of those indifferent mountains and the timeless flow of the Indus. Yet only man has the power to keep alive 
the memory of fellow beings who died 1300 years ago seen thus today's procession of simple peasants moving slowly across the valley's vastness was a triumphant assertion of spiritual strength and that was cool wasn't it i would really recommend this book uh, it's it makes for great reading uh, just to repeat this is uh, devla murphy d e r v l a uh, where the indus is young Uh, published by Speaking Tiger and costing four hundred and fifty rupees. Published in two thousand eighteen. Uh, they say travel broadens the mind, but in my opinion, that only happens if you go with an open mind in the first place. Uh, I had varied success persuading friends to read Discovering Bangalore. They have their own preconceptions of what the city is like, and it's only if they are already interested that they'd read the book. Uh, Murphy too, although. she describes the places beautifully for example i see no mention of what the british raj has done to the economy of the region whether in this book or in the previous book about kurg for example so some things her mind is close to but some others she is open to discovering but still traveling and absorbing some things is better than not traveling and absorbing nothing where do you plan to go for the summer vacation i haven't decided yet but I'm not staying here for sure. Uh, this is P.S. Nasim signing off. Please do subscribe to the Bookasur podcast so you get new episodes every two weeks as I release them. And please do follow me on Twitter for any feedback that you have. And as always, thank you for listening.